the experience of commencing something, but neither continuing it or completing it. I guess it's a sore question to ask perhaps in February when our January resolutions have vanished quicker than the hopes of the Scottish rugby team. (laughs) Food regimes discontinued. Health regimes, gym memberships discontinued, at least in our attendance. Bible reading plans perhaps discontinue. There are all sorts of things, aren't there, that we commence, but we don't continue with. And yet, in the case of a Christian, in the life of a Christian, and in the walk of a Christian, continuing is of paramount importance. It is of utmost significance. One New Testament writer who stressed this with clarity was the Apostle Paul. Writing to a church in a city called Colossae, he urged them, he implored them to continue in Christ. Mary and Louise, it's a wonderful initial step, baptism. But continue, continue in Christ. And this indeed is a message for all of us this evening. So let's turn, shall we, to the book of Colossians. It's in the the New Testament part of the Bible, uh, toward the end, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It's on page 1183 in the Pew Bible. You're free to use those. Colossians chapter 2, just two verses, but what wonderful verses. Paul the Apostle writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. These are the words that God has put on my heart to share with you for a few minutes this evening. And I want us to, for the beginning of this sermon, just notice the logical link that Paul makes. Paul welds together two things, receiving Christ and continuing in Christ. It's a a two-part equation. It's a a two-step process. Just as you have received, continue to live. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, the one and the same Lord Jesus. And so what I would like to do, just for a few minutes, is to unpack with you the two sides to that equation. First of all, let us begin where Paul begins. And where we must all begin with receiving. In the Colossians' case, receiving in the past. Did you notice that in verse 6? This is a past reception. Just as you have received. 
And what was it that the Colossian Christians had received? Well, first of all, it was at one level a message that they had received. The word that Paul uses here, received, was a technical term in these days which described the successful transmission of information of someone who would share a message and another person who would receive that information. And of course, this is always the case when someone becomes a Christian. There is this necessity, isn't there, that the gospel message, the information about Jesus Christ and what he has done, that this is shared and this is heard and received. But notice, and I think this is fascinating actually, While this is implied, the reception of a message, Paul goes a little step further. Did you notice the little twist? Paul points not just to the reception of a message, but to the reception of a man. He says, this was a personal reception, you received Christ Jesus as Lord. This wasn't just about, though it included, believing certain propositions. It was about coming to know a person. There's a story told about a famous actor who was at a fundraising luncheon and he was to entertain the guests after the meal and he was giving various recitals. He began to take requests and there was a retired minister present who raised his hand and asked if he would recite Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd, Sam. Well, as it happened, the actor knew Psalm 23. He says, I'll recite the 23rd Psalm, but on one condition. I'm going to recite it first, and then you follow me and show me how it's done. So the actor got up. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Perfect diction. Classic intonation. Flawless performance. He carries through concludes the 23rd Psalm, sits down. Then up gets the old minister. And with a cracked, hoarse, quiet voice, he begins to recite the psalm from the depths of his heart. And by the end of the psalm, there was hardly a dry eye in the house. The minister sits down, The actor stands up. He tries to think of something to say. And he says to the audience, You know, you applauded me, but you wept for him. And he said, It must be the fact that I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Many people know the Bible. Many people know many things about Christ, but they don't know Christ. They haven't received Christ Jesus personally. And yet Paul says to the Colossians, you know him, you know him by name, you received him, that is, Christ Jesus. The title Christ was the Jewish designation for Messiah. The Messiah was the long-promised king, the conquering savior who would rescue the Jewish people and through them would bless the world. And here, says Paul, you receive Jesus as this rescuer. And additionally, notice the other thing he supplements it with, you receive Jesus 
That's a complementing name. Uh, Jesus, first of all, reflects the fact that Jesus was human. Jesus, of course, is a human name. But do you know what the name Jesus means? Many people today use it as a swear word, don't they? As well as Christ. Don't know what these terms mean. An angel, when he foretold the coming of Jesus, he appeared to the terrified guardian, Joseph, and he said this, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus means Savior. Jesus means Savior. And why was he called Savior? Because his ministry would be about saving. Saving was Jesus' purpose, Jesus' goal. It's what Jesus was about. And during his adult ministry, Jesus, of course, did many great things. He taught with wonderful sermons. He healed in wonderful ways. But above and beyond all of this, this was his focus. He died on a cross to save people like you and me. That's why we sing so much in this church about a cross. You maybe come in here and you think we're pretty morbid singing about some of these things. But there's a reason for it. We believe that when Jesus died on the cross, it was no ordinary death. But that on that cross, as the Bible says, Jesus took my place, took my blame, took my punishment to save me from my sins. Sins are those things which separate us from God. Sin very simply as James said earlier, is to rebel against God, to defy Him. And by that definition, every one of us here at some level is a sinner. Because none of us put God in the first place all the time. And so we need Christ Jesus, the Rescuer, the Savior, don't we? But we also need to receive Him, notice a second thing, as the Lord. The Lord who rules us. He's not just Christ Jesus. He's Christ Jesus the Lord. In fact, notice closely what Paul says. That's not quite how he says it. He says, you received Christ Jesus as Lord. You hear the difference in that? It's not just saying that Christ is the Savior and the Lord. It is saying this, that Jesus Christ is not your Savior if he's not your Lord. You see, you need to receive him from the beginning as Lord of your life. So easy, isn't it, to think that we can just accept Jesus as the Savior, that we can just profess something with no outward alteration to our lives. And many people have got the wrong end of the stick by this definition, haven't they? People want to be forgiven, who wouldn't? They want eternal security, who wouldn't? And so they hear a sermon like this, they pray a prayer, and they walk out the door believing that they have an eternal security plan. And yet the fact of the matter is that they then live their lives no different than before. And Paul says the whole notion is a sham. If Jesus is not our Lord, He is not our Savior. If Jesus does not govern our lives, then he has not granted us life in the first place. 
And so let me ask you this question this evening, and I don't know all who are present tonight and what the condition of your hearts are, but let me ask you something very direct. Have you received the Savior as Lord? Have you received the Savior as Lord? You're not a Christian simply because you say a form of words. You're only a Christian if you turn from your sin, the Bible calls that repentance, and you give your life to Jesus completely to Him. And if you're here tonight and you have not fully, totally, completely done that, Maybe you are from a Christian home. We heard something of that. Or you were brought up in church, but you've never really come to there. Then tonight, the Holy Spirit may be convicting your heart. And you need to put this correct this evening. Put it right. Maybe you're here tonight and you're under no illusions. Perhaps you're here this evening and you're not a Christian. And let me say to you, lovingly, and gently, that there's no real future without Christ Jesus. There certainly is no forgiveness for our sins before our holy God without the Savior. We all need Him. And so I I want to invite you this evening to do the same thing, to put your trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him as Lord. Now maybe you're here tonight, also, and you've done that. That is wonderful, by the way, if you've done that. Maybe, in fact, just right now, you're doing that or you've just done it. By the way, it's okay to become a Christian during the services, right? And even in the sermons. Isn't it wonderful just to hear that from time to time? But suppose you're in that situation. I want us to see a second thing, all right? As we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue in Him. As well as this past reception, there is continuing in the present. Magnus Magnuson, remember he coined the phrase, I've started, so I'll finish. And yet, the only way to finish, to complete what you commence, is to continue. Continue. So Paul urges the Colossians, just as you have received Jesus as Lord, don't stop there. Continue to live in Him. Louise and Mary, this in some senses is just the start. You know, God commends your commencing. But continue. If you're a Christian, continue. And so Paul describes here the marks of a continuing a continuing Christian. How would we know if we are continuing in Christ? What would be some of the evidences of this? Well, first of all, if you are continuing in Jesus Christ, you will be a growing Christian. You will be a growing Christian. Necessarily, verse 6, continue to live in Him, and here's what that looks like, rooted and built up in Him. A continuing Christian, Paul says, it's a twofold thing. A continuing Christian is both firmly fixed at the roots and growing continually and immeasurably in stature. Rooted down but growing up. 
being built up, as Paul puts it. It's present continuous. Uh, It means that the growth never stops. It never ceases. The sky's the limit. Last year there was an article in the Times newspaper which identified the world's tallest tree. It's a giant redwood in a remote Californian forest. It's called Hyperion. 379 feet high. It it dwarfs many man-made structures. And what I found most intriguing about this was the estimation that this tree, this living organism, is somewhere between seven and 800 years old. Now you just think about that, seven to 800 years old. It's been growing and growing and growing up and up and up all that time. It is still growing even today. Paul says, in a similar way, the sky is the limit for a Christian. You should keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. And the way that you do that, we say, how is it that that happens? The way that we do that is to never move away from the foundation. You notice that Paul says this. He says that we are built up in him even as we are rooted in him. It's a world record-breaking tree. You know, it's wonderfully impressive, isn't it? In terms of its height, in terms of its age. But you know, it's never traveled. Right? It's rooted on the same spot and it has been for the last 800 years. The roots have got a little bit deeper, but it's planted in the same spot. And it's exactly the same When you continue as a Christian, you don't move from the foundation. You stand on the same spot. You put your roots down deeper into Christ, for sure. And by that, you grow and grow and grow. I I wonder tonight, are you growing? However long you've been a Christian, maybe you've just been a Christian for six months. Has it been six months of growth? It should be. Maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years. Are you still growing? Are, are, you, are you getting like a giant redwood? And you're still going up. You know, if, if so, perhaps you've got the second mark of a continuing Christian too, which is learning. In the middle of verse 7, Paul speaks of being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Not strengthened in your faith, but strengthened in the faith. Paul's talking here uh, not about our personal subjective faith, but the faith, which is the body of Christian teachings and and doctrine, the faithful deposit. And what Paul is saying is that if we continue as Christians, we should be strengthened in our definition, just like you get muscle definition if if you exercise. We should be strengthened in our definition in terms of understanding the gospel and Christ and his love and his grace. Christians are meant to be teachable people. How sad it is when we don't live up to our name as disciples, students. Uh, John Wesley was a a great gospel preacher and he visited Scotland. This was a while back in 1764. And he wrote in his journal, in fact he complained, quote, there is seldom fear of wanting a congregation in Scotland but the misfortune is they know everything, so they learn nothing. 
I hope that's still not true. That we are the very opposite of that. Because that's what Paul's saying. We need to be teachable people. And he also adds to this, he says, as you were taught. In other words, as we grow in our learning and in our understanding of the faith, he says, don't depart, it's the same kind of idea again, to another faith, to another religion. Make sure that what you come to understand corresponds with what you learned in the beginning. You know, some of you here are probably PhD sorts of people. You look very intelligent. And if you, if you're, say, a PhD in mathematics, you have very advanced learning in that subject. But you know, you still continue using the basic rudiments of mathematics, don't you? It's the same basic rules. One plus one still equals two. And if somebody came along and said any different, no matter how advanced you were, you would say, that's wrong, that's not maths. And so it is that our Christianity and what we come to know and understand must correspond with the the deep and the original and the basic truths. Mary and Louise continue to learn. Be teachable. And may we all have this mark. But thirdly and finally, as we come to our conclusion, in addition to growing and learning, there's another mark, and that is very appropriate for this occasion. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The early church father, Augustine, defined a Christian as an alleluia from head to foot. And yet Paul says that in the life of a believer who is really making progress, thanksgiving will be a conspicuous feature. Indeed, he says, overflowing with thankfulness. Why, this is not the forced thank yous that we make our children and teens do, you know. Say thank you, we command. I know why we say it, but on another level, what's the point when we tell them to say it? But Paul speaks here of of an overflowing, of an abounding thankfulness. It's like a river that is so full that it bursts its banks. Uncontrollably thankful. Mature Christians... If you have ever met a mature Christian, one of the marks of them is, isn't it? They are extraordinarily thankful people. And sometimes we don't think this is a big deal, but the measure of our thankfulness is the measure of our growth. The measure of our thankfulness is the measure of our growth. Perhaps you're here tonight, and it was many years ago when you were baptized. Maybe you can remember the, the deep sense of gratitude and the, the, you know, the bursting of the banks, it wasn't the water over the side of the tank. It, it was coming from your heart, wasn't it? Are we more thankful today than we were then? Are we even more grateful than we were to begin with? That's a way to examine the reality of our continuing. Dear friends, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when something commences, but doesn't continue. Nikki and I uh, were just reflecting this week on some of our wedding presents that we received quite a few years back now. One of, one of them, in fact, we got a whole collection, very generously people gave us, uh, a collection of Denby pottery. You know the, the stuff. It's quite fancy, at least for us. Plates and, and side dishes and, and, and all the different accoutrements. And we're given 
practically the whole set of the Boston Range. You know, there's these different colours, and this was the Boston Range. And we only bring it out in special occasions, and you must be very special if you've seen it. Um, But pretty soon after receiving the gift, we discovered, somebody told us, it, it was discontinued. And we were pretty disappointed in that. What would happen if I smashed the plates like I smashed the plates? Sometimes when things are discontinued, it's disappointing. But you know, in the case of a Christian who does not continue, this is serious, it, it's a devastating thing. It's a, it's a tragic thing. Maybe you're here this evening and you are a Christian, but you're like that tea set, discontinued. You're not thankful. You're not grateful. You're not really growing. You're stunted in your growth. May God continue to inspire us freshly, invigorate us to continue. Maybe you're just starting out tonight. Let me just encourage you with this verse. Make this the verses of your meditation this week. Just as you've received them, continue in Him. And if you're not a Christian, well, it's pretty obvious what you need to do. You can't continue until you first received. So receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior too. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for this very short but powerful part of your word. It's so simple, Lord, the logic. And yet, Lord, sometimes it's so hard for us to do the simple things. Just put our faith in Jesus. Just accept him as Lord supreme of our lives. So, Lord, we pray that you will do that tonight, that you will work that in the hearts of some who are here. And we pray that you will inspire all of us to continue, Lord, even as we see this this baptism now. May our hearts be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.